text of this sermon is the 14th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. I'll begin, re- begin reading at verse 22. Jack Taylor has a sermon entitled, Walking on Water, that I've read several times. In fact, it just almost was too tempting not to just take his sermon and preach it today. I had to really fight that. <laughs> and um, because, you know, I'd, I'd think of some things that I wanted to say, and yet he says them so much better than I can. But I did resist, and I did keep my um, sermon from Jack Taylor and walking with water in my, in my uh, files until I finished mine and got it out. And I think I like mine better. I <laughs> know. I got his out and then added some of those things that uh, are his that are just dynamite. And I thought it might be a, just what we need today uh, on this miracle. Pray for the miracle day. Verse 22, And immediately Jesus made the disciples. Now I want you to notice that word and underline it. He constrained them. He caused them to do something they really didn't want to do. Sometimes that's what He does. He He causes us to do some things sometimes that we just don't want to do. He made His disciples get into the boat and go ahead of Him to the other side while He sent the multitudes away. He dismissed the crowd. And after He had sent the multitudes away, He went up to the mountain by Himself to pray. And when it was evening, He was there alone. But the boat was already many stadia away from the land. It's about three and a half miles away from, from the land, out in the Sea of Galilee, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night he came to them, walking on the sea. Doesn't matter what storm of life you're in, you just remember that he's always in your prayers. Or you're always in his prayers. Can I say that again? No matter how stormy the night, you're always in His prayer. Somebody told about going into the house, and this guy had a picture in his house of Jesus. It's one of those wherever you walked, it looked like His eyes were following. You've seen those pictures. And the guy said, how do you stand this? You know, wherever you go, it looks like He's watching you. He said, oh, it just means that He loves me so much, He can't take His eyes off of me. And there they were in that storm, and Jesus couldn't take His eyes off of them. They were always in His prayers. And so in about 3 to 6 o'clock in the morning, He came to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw Him walking on the sea, they were frightened, saying, It is a ghost, and they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I. It's the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew, I am. Take courage, I am. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out His hand and took hold of him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped Him, saying, You are certainly God's Son. Have you ever wondered why people do what they do? 
I mean, people, some people do the craziest things. Not me, of course, but some folks I know do the weirdest things. I've never been able to understand why some people do what they do. As a matter of fact, Art Linkletter made a million dollars on the theory, more than a million on the theory, that people are funny. Not funny, ha-ha, but funny, weird, funny, peculiar. They do the strangest things. I heard about a man who was sitting in his barber's chair getting a shave. All of a sudden, he just leaped up out of the barber's chair and ran straight through plate glass window, just shattered it, just cut himself to shreds. While the doctor was patching him up, he said, Why'd you do that? He said, I don't know. It just seemed like the thing to do at the time. I mean, there are some things that can only be explained like that. I don't know why we do those things. It just seemed like the thing to do at the time. Now, some folks say that hindsight is twenty-twenty, and that's true. Sometimes I look back over my life and wonder why I did some of the things I've done. Why I said that? Did I say that? Did I do that? How could I have said that? How could I have done that? People do the strangest things. I think that Simon Peter is a case in point. He's a, he must have been the object of much discussion, for he was always doing the weirdest things. Can you just imagine Thomas and John in conversation over a fish meal talking about Peter? And I can just hear John saying, Tom, what's he going to do next? I mean, there's nothing safe or sacred around him. He does the weirdest things. My sentiments entirely, John. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if some night he didn't try to walk on water. I mean, nobody's safe around him. But the thing I hate the worst about what this man does, Simon Peter, is that he's giving us all this, what, this reputation. Can't you imagine what people are saying in town about us, all of us, why they're just a bunch of crazies? And then came the night of nights when Simon did what was probably the craziest thing of all, the most unlikely thing of all. He climbed out of a boat and started to walk on water. I want you to notice this morning and remember that these disciples were out in the middle of that lake in that storm because Jesus told them to, not because they were out of the will of God like Jonah. Sometimes Jesus sends us, you say, you mean He's deliberately sent them out into that, into that lake, into that storm? That's what the Word says. It says that He caused them to do something they didn't really want to do. He made them go out into that storm. For I want you to know that it's safer in a storm in the will of God than it is on land with the crowd out of the will of God. And it's a mistake sometimes to judge our circumstances, only judge the, the, the circumstances of life just by what we see. And if you read the Bible, you'll discover that there are two kinds of storms that a person gets himself into. One is the storm of disobedience where he needs to be corrected. Then there is the storm of obedience where God just helps us grow. Now Jonah got in the storm and, and because God had to correct him. He disobeyed God, got in a storm to be corrected. These disciples obeyed God because He wanted to perfect them. And so out in that storm, they were being tested and being tried. Then all of a sudden, their fears subsided as they saw Jesus coming toward them on the water. And Simon Peter said, Lord, if it is you, bid me come 
give me permission and I will come. I want, I want you to know that all week long I have been haunted by that statement, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come. Lord, if it is you, bid me come. And the Lord said, come. And he crawled out on that out of that boat onto the waves and started toward Jesus, the weirdest thing he has ever done. And he did a lot of weird things. But he did it because Jesus commanded him to do it. And sometimes Jesus commands us to do those things that seems weird and crazy and unlikely. Now, a few years, a few months ago, gone into years now, some of us folks met up in that, what is, uh, what was the choir room then, and down on our knees we prayed about this, the direction of our church and the building of new buildings, etc. And this is what we asked, Lord, if it is your will, bid us come. And we sensed that God was saying, come, do it, let's do it. After we finished that building, God began to say to my spirit, to my heart, I want you to do something that, that is extraordinary. I want you to do something that can only be explained in terms of me. And I want you to lead your people. God said to my heart, I sense that. I want you to lead your people out to that place where if I don't come through, you're sunk. And I said, Lord, if you say to do it, if you'll say, bid me, if you'll bid me come, then I'll come. And I sense that. And so I'm asking you this morning to, to, to pray the same prayer. Lord, if you want me to crawl out of this boat and put my feet on that which is uninsured, if you want me to take this leap, this step of faith, if you want me to do this, where if I get myself out there and you don't come through, I'm sunk. If you want me to do that, just tell me. That's what I'm asking you, to ask God. That's what the pray for the miracle thing is all about. Now I want to talk to you this morning, just, just in the minutes that remain, about walking on water. I want to identify, first of all, the boat and then the storm. I want us to see that the boat represents the mediocre, the commonplace, the possible. The things that you and I can do in our energies and strength with our resources, that's what the boat represents. I mean, it's that which is ordinary and status quo. Walking on the water is getting yourself out there where faith is normal, where you trust God and live on the basis of, of His coming through and His provision and His care and His love. Two or three things, just simple things. Anybody could have thought of them. Just about anything I think of, anybody could have thought of. First is this. Simon Peter wanted that deep fellowship that comes in some activity. Watch this. In some activity that is beyond the reach of human weakness. He wanted that fellowship that comes, that is only there, where, that, that is beyond the reach of human weakness. He just wanted to be with Jesus. Now, if we are to appreciate Simon Peter's uh, statement, if, if it is you, bid me come, we need to get in a boat with him this morning and kind of get in his sandals and feel where he was. I want you to do that with me. He got out on this boat and Simon Peter knew what it was like on the Sea of Galilee. The, the Sea of Galilee was down its base, basin and all around surrounded by mountains. So it wasn't uncommon that in the cool of the evening, when the evening began to cool down, 
the cool breeze is coming across those mountains down on that water that had been warmed by the daily sun, by the sun of the day. It wasn't uncommon that little storms would pop up, violent storms. And sure enough, one of those happened while they were out there on the Sea of Galilee. Now, it wasn't too bad at first, but this man has been on the Sea of Galilee all of his life, and he's seen some of these, and he knows the potential of that. And he begins to watch as the waves begin to get higher and higher, and the wind begins to thunder against their little boat. And they've been towing and uh, rowing and toiling against the wind till it's three to six o'clock in the morning. And they started out just when, when the sun went down and got really to the other side. And he's beginning to be afraid. Now, he's an old sea salt and a veteran of many uh, sails across the Sea of Galilee, but he knows when to get frightened, and he is frightened. But all of a sudden, his fear of the wind is replaced by his fear of the phantom, the, the ghost. Um, the fear of the waves weren't quite as bad anymore, for he saw this man coming toward them across the waves. He thought it was a ghost. Reminds me of the old boy in the old west that went to the doctor with this terrible toothache. He said, Doctor, can you help me with my toothache? He said, I think so. He got an anvil and dropped it on his toe. When the guy finally was able to get his breath, you know, from the pain, he said, why did you do that? He said, I bet you ain't got no toothache no more. I mean, his toe hurt so bad that he forgot about the pain in his tooth. While he was out in that storm, I mean, the fear of the ghost was greater than his fear of the storm. And then all of a sudden, conscious of the fact that it was Jesus and hearing his voice, he said, Lord, if it is you, bid me come. Now, I think this morning that there is a fellowship with Jesus that is possible to everybody here. As a matter of fact, where two or three are gathered together in my name, lo, there am I in their midst. I mean, I, I want you to know that in this very room our Lord is. There is a fellowship that each of us enjoys just because we're believers, just because we're saved, we know the Lord. But there is a fellowship that is out there, that is out in that activity which is beyond the reach of human possibility, that is a greater fellowship. Do you see that? I mean, Jesus was as close to the other disciples as He was to Peter, as long as He stayed in the boat. But when He climbed out onto that impossible activity, to that impossible thing, He came into a new kind of fellowship. That's the kind of fellowship with the Lord I desire for myself and for you. It's a kind of fellowship that few of us have ever known. And that's why Jesus walked on the water. He wanted them to see that the thing we often fear the most can be a stairway by which He comes to us. And the things that frighten us are the very things that enable Him to enter into a fellowship with us that is greater than any fellowship we have ever known. Now my heart is full this morning because I've just come from a great revival meeting. I've about given up on revivals. And the Lord came down in a, in a, in a, in a marvelous place, in a marvelous way. Let me tell you about this little church that I passed, that, that I pre where I preached this revival. Around about 225 or 30 in Sunday school on Sunday, we had an, at a 7 o'clock service, 
Now, believe this or not, we had in a 7 o'clock service every morning, we had almost as many in that 7 o'clock service, every service, as, we, as they did in Sunday school. I mean, we had to start the preaching before everybody got served. It was amazing. And in the last eight months in that church, since this pastor has been there, they have had 15, 15 men over 65 who have been saved. Now, that's amazing. Uh, on the Friday night of the revival, a man 77 years old came and trusted Christ. The people said, as far as we know, he has never been to church, ever been to church, except for a funeral. And this pastor has been leading these older men, over 65, most of them in their 70s, to Christ. I have never seen a sweeter fellowship. I mean, when the service would be over, we'd have long services. You can believe that, don't you? you? I mean, we'd have long invitations, and when the service would be over, that nobody would leave. It was amazing. It would be 10 o'clock before people want to leave. It's just this sweet and marvelous fellowship of people together, fellowshipping with each other and fellowshipping with the Lord. And I'm convinced where, as to where that came from. It came out of... God doing the miraculous in their midst. It came out of, that fellowship was born out of, seeing God perform miracles in their midst on Sunday. I mean, when I'd give an invitation, the, those, those deacons, those great uh, uh, servants of the Lord who have been, they just kind of start looking down the aisles. I mean, they, they just, you could just see them kind of str crick, cr uh, strain their heads around to see who's coming next. And the fellowship was just marvelous because they had been in the presence of the miraculous. Now, some of us beg Jesus to come to us. I'm here to tell you, He's asking us to come to Him. Now, the water is incidental. Now, Simon wasn't saying, Lord, I, I think it'd be great if I could just walk on water. Nobody else has ever done that. Man, would, I, would my name go down in history if I could walk on water? That, that's incidental. Could have been fire. What he was saying, Lord, if it is you, bid me come to you. I want to enter into a new fellowship where you are at work doing what man cannot explain. The second thing about walking on water is if you're going to walk on water, you've got to dare to dream, you've got to dare to be different. I've noticed that. You ever seen anybody walking on water? You've got to dare to dream, you've got to dare to be different. Jack Taylor says, if you're going to walk on water, you can't listen to the boat. You know what the folks in the boat are going to say, don't you? He said, don't, if you're going to walk on water, you can't listen to the people in the boat. You can't get their counsel because they never agree. Why, he said, if you decide you're going to... Now, we already identified that the boat is the ordinary and the status quo walking on water is the supernatural where God comes through and does what man cannot explain. He said, if you crawl out of the ordinary to, to walk on water, you're going to get a myriad of, of uh, counsel, a myriad of advice from folks who have never walked on water. And most of them are going to say, sit down. You can't do that. Don't rock the boat, you're going to get us all killed. Sit down, you crazy outfit. Nobody's ever done that before. You can't do that. That's going to be the advice from the boat folks. Now, when I first started out uh, pastoring or preaching, I used to listen to a, to a lot of that. But, but, and I still listen to counsel. There, there's hardly a week goes by that I don't get somebody 
together and pray with and counsel with. Uh, that's the truth. Here, in the, since I've been pastor, I bet there hasn't been ten times, ten weeks go by in the time I've been here that I didn't get somebody to pray with and to counsel about decisions I need to make. But when it comes to the final decision, when it comes to the ultimate decision, you cannot listen to the folks in the boat. You can't always listen to the boat folks, to the status quo, to the mediocre. The, the, the boat may be dull, may be safe, but it'll be sour. You have to dare to dream. You have to dare to be different. And daring to dream and daring to be different keeps uh, negativism out of the church. Now, it's pretty, it's pretty common for a root of negativism to, to come into the church. I've known this Hale Center Church since I was pastoring out in West Texas. Let me tell you what, that's about the most negative church I ever heard of, that church. It's not any longer. You know why? Because the people are daring to dream. They're daring to be different. They have a vision that God is doing something in their midst that is extraordinary and supernatural. That just, that just takes negativism out of everything. I read about this uh, pastor who resigned his church to, uh, to go into missions, to, to be a missionary. It was a very unhappy situation. Very unpl In fact, the church just kind of forced him out, really. But they want to have a banquet for him to say goodbye. You know, I guess their conscience was bother were bothering him a little bit. And so he got up to thank them. He said, I just want you to know how much I appreciate this wonderful banquet and this nice send-off. And when I get off out there and I'm surrounded by a bunch of grinning, ugly savages, I'll think of you folks. Now, now, it's pretty easy. It's, it's pretty easy for a spirit of negativism to get in, in, into, into a church. Now, the way you deal with that, you begin to dream big dreams. I want you to know that, that, that the person who dares to be different and who dreams great dreams will never be negative. And isn't it, wouldn't it be more, isn't it more wonderful to be a part of a church that believes that they can do anything, not because of who they are, but because of whose they are. When tornado came through uh, West Texas, out around Lubbock, somebody said they saw this telephone pole with a straw, just a common ordinary straw like you, make, you, you use in your, in your broom, a common ordinary straw right through that telephone pole, just in it, in it, within it. Now, how in the world did that straw get through into that seasoned, rough, hard wood, that telephone pole? Well, the answer to that is that that straw was completely yielded to the force and power of that tornado. And, the, and, and, and it wasn't the straw energy. It was the energy and the power of that tornado that did that. See? Now, bid me come to you on the water. Did you know that under every little drop of that water in the lake of Galilee was a hand that held Jesus up? It was just a hand held him up. For you see, Jesus has authority. He's not only a landlord, he's a sea lord. Jesus had complete authority over water. Why, he could, he could turn it into wine for drinking and he could turn it into thoroughfares for walking for under that water right beneath the surface were these marvelous hands that held him up and Simon. Cedric Walker, professor at Tulane University, commissioned his civil engineering class to, 
to, to, to plan and design and make some boots for walking on water. They made some big boots, look like pontoons, and they called them Jesus boots. An ordinary man cannot walk on water, but a God-man can. I mean, if he can walk in space, he can walk on water. Underneath is the arm of God. Now, what I'm saying is, and I'm not trying to get you to run out here today, go down to Lake Texoma and take a little hike across there, not unless the Lord says do it. He's, I hope He says that to you. What I'm talking about is to step out into the, into the extra, step out into the impossible, step out into the impossible. For underneath the, the surface of the impossible is the hand of the Lord enabling. You've got to dare to believe that, dream that. Third thing, and I think this will be about all I can do in the time that's allowed. When you're walking on water, you better keep your eyes on Jesus. Now, it impresses me that Jesus didn't rebuke Simon Peter for what he did when he got out of the boat to walk on water. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not ashamed, nor am I embarrassed to, 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 to say, to ask you to do the impossible. I don't think the Lord rebukes us for that. As a matter of fact, I said this on the television deal the other night. I hope some of you saw it. He never asks us to do the possible. You, you ever notice that? He never asked His disciples to do the possible. Because if He asked us to do the possible, we wouldn't need Him. And the whole life long of Jesus' ministry with His disciples was to just doing, doing the impossible to show them that if they keep their eyes on Him, they could do the impossible. And that's what He's going to ask us to do, the impossible. He's never going to ask us to do the possible. Now, if you're waiting around for the Lord to ask you to do the possible, and you hear Him ask you that, somebody else's voice. What He's going to ask you to do is the impossible every time. Now, He rebukes him because He took His eyes off Jesus. Now, when he watched this, now when he took his eyes off Jesus, there was this failure of faith. And when there was this failure of faith, there was this paralysis of power. And he began to sink. Now, what's the sequence? You take your eyes off the Lord, there is the failure of faith, then there is the paralysis of power. You know what? You know when a church loses its power? You know when a church loses its power? when that church has a failure of faith, when it stops walking by faith, when it stops living in the faith dimension. You know when we stop walking in the faith dimension, when we stop walking by faith, it's when we take our eyes off Jesus and put them on the circumstances. Why, He, he stopped looking at Jesus and He started looking at self and the winds and when He started seeing what the wind was doing, He forgot about what Jesus was doing. And there's always a paralysis of power when there is a failure of faith and there's always a failure of faith when you stop keeping, when you take your eyes off Him every time. Now we don't have to be concerned today about the size of the waves. Now the waves were over the disciples' heads. <laughs> I like this. I don't know where I read this, but it couldn't have been original. The waves were over the disciples' heads, but they were under Jesus' feet. 
I mean, whatever is over your head, you just remember it's under His feet. And, 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 and oftentimes, fear, what fear does is fear sees God through the circumstances. But faith sees the circumstances through God. So he kept his eyes on Jesus. And Jesus, they said, if it's you, he said, it is I, it is me. That is, I am. It's the Old Testament. You remember when Moses uh, uh, said, well, how am I going to go deliver my people out of Egyptian bondage? What, what do I say if they say, who sent you? He said, well, just tell them the I am sense. The same word, Greek equivalent, I am. Lord, is it you? He said, I am. I am what? I am all you need to walk on water. I am all you need to pay for this building. I am all you need to, to, to see a miracle. I am all you need. He is your source and mine. He's all we need. Lord, if it's you, if you bid, then that's all I need to know. It's all I, you all, the, you all I need to know. Isn't that great? I read about a Cessna, heavy-loaded Cessna 206 taken off from a wet... Is there a 206 Cessna? Yeah. I want to get it straight. Cessna 206, heavily-loaded, taking off from a jungle, wet jungle airstrip. They'd done that many times, but this passenger in the front there by the, by the, by the, by the pilot had never been on it before. And so as they started down that, that runway of that wet airstrip in the jungle the pilot knowing that you had to build up this tremendous airspeed had the throttle all the way down to the firewall and as they made their way down that runway that passenger sitting next to the pilot could see that jungle coming just bigger and bigger into that windshield and he couldn't stand it any longer what's the matter with this pilot why didn't he do something and he reached over there and he grabbed the, the controls and pulled them all the way out it's a mistake you have to build up airspeed but that plane, before it was ready to do it, lurched skyward and the, and, the, and, the, and the nose pointed up but didn't have enough airspeed, so it began to stall. And the pilot wrestled the controls back and jammed the throttle down trying to bring the, the nose down, but it was too late. And so it finally uh, bottomed out and lost its airspeed and came crashing down into the jungle. And the man who wrote the story said this, Sure seems to be a lot of crashes these days because folks can't keep their hands off the controls. I can sympathize with that man in, the, in that plane. I've done it a thousand times on my way across this life of mine, haven't you? It just seems like... Where is the Lord? I mean, I'm out here in this, in this lake and there's a storm coming. Where's Jesus? Where's some help? And all of a sudden, I want to put my hands on the controls. There sure have been a lot of crashes in my life because I can't keep my hands off the controls. What I'm asking you to do this morning with me is to make a new commitment to take your hands off the controls and crawl out of the ordinary and start walking on water. Now, if we do it, if something happens in this, in this place that can only be explained in terms of God, if things start happening here that we can call revival or whatever, and God begins to do in our midst, 
those things for which we cannot take the credit. Do you know what's going to happen? We're going to have an impact upon this community, the likes of which this community has never known. Now, now watch this. I believe that people are looking for a standard bearer, and people are most, most attracted to that which they cannot explain. You ever notice that? Now, I want you to miss, miss what happened when they finally got back in the boat. The disciples didn't say, Peter, I knew you couldn't do it. I knew you'd sink. You crazy idiot. They didn't say that. You know what they said? They said to Jesus, Surely you are the Son of God. You know what happens when people step out and put their feet on the uninsured? and they start doing what God bids them to do that is beyond, beyond the reach of human weakness. You know what happens? The whole world around them, their world where they live and operate, begins to say, surely that was of God. Surely Jesus is the Son of God. And after all, isn't that what we want? Let's pray together. Father, if it is you, bid us come. There's some this morning here who just need to step out in the aisles that are just like water, so unsure of themselves, so insecure, and who need to come to say, Father, I want to have the joy of salvation. I want to be saved. I want to be forgiven of my sin. I know I can't save myself, and so I want you to come and be my Savior. There may be some this morning who just need to come to say, Lord, I've been, in the, I've, I've been involved in the ordinary, in the status quo. That's a part of my life, but I want, I want that fellowship that comes in an activity that is beyond the reach of possibility beyond the reach of human weakness. And so I want to make a commitment today to a deeper kind of walk. I pray, Lord, that there'll be some who'll say that, some who'll join the church. Lord, we just want this invitation to be your invitation, and we want you to say to us, come. If you say, come, give us permission to come. Command us to come, we will. In every heart, Father, speak now, I pray in Jesus' name. Now, with your head still bowed, would you just say to Him, Lord, if you want me to come, bid me come. Whatever you want me to do, I'm willing to do it right now. Would you say that prayer? Now, would you do it? While we stand to sing, we ask you to come. Right now, come. Come.